This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company. For more information and links to all our great podcasts, visit HartmanMedia.com. Welcome to the Solomon Success Show, where we explore the timeless wisdom of King Solomon and the Bible as it relates to business and investing. False prophets and get-rich-quick schemes are everywhere. Let's not be distracted by these. Instead, let's go to the source, the eternal principles that create a life of peace, power, and prosperity. Here's our host, Jason Hartman. It's my pleasure to welcome Jonasson Goldson to the show. He is a rabbi and author of Proverbial Beauty, Secrets for Success and Happiness from the Wisdom of the Ages, and he's coming to us today from St. Louis, Missouri. Jonasson, how are you? I'm great, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Good. It's nice to have you on the show. So, you know, on the show, we explore what the Bible can teach us about business and investing and, of course, success in general. There's really a wealth of information here, especially from King Solomon. Do you think that the book of Proverbs, for example, is a great collection of mental images in history and advice for success in life in general? That's exactly what it is. You know, we always hear that a a picture is worth a thousand words. The reason for that is because we think in pictures. Uh, Apparently, the human mind operates in such a way that when we speak, most of us, our minds are forming pictures, images, while we speak of the things that we're saying. And the benefit of that is that it concretizes, it, it, it sharpens the idea, the topic, it fixes it in our minds. We can remember images much more clearly, much more easily, and, uh, and they stay in our memory. So what, what a proverb does is it takes that mental image, it creates a verbal picture, and it links it to some lesson in life that it represents. And, and then we're able to, rem- whenever we remember that image, whenever we bring it to mind, so the lesson automatically comes along with it. The benefit of that is that if we want to be successful in whatever we're doing, whether it's in business or our relationships, we have to visualize what kind of people we want to be, uh, what kind of people we, what we should want to be, how we want to succeed, and then we have to discipline ourselves to act that way so that we can actually become that way and achieve what we set out to do. This is what King Solomon had in mind when he put together his book of Proverbs. He wanted to give us a guide of verbal images that would show us the path to success and happiness. The problem is that his language is a little outdated for our time. So what I've tried to do in my book is to bring the Proverbs of of Solomon into the present and show how they are practical lessons for us. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's been said that our visual sense really uses about 70% of our, our, our processing capacity. You know, it's a very rich sense. There's a lot of data there, if you will. And um, like, as you said, you know, when we hear words, we form images of them. For example, if I say, don't think of an elephant, instantly uh, people manufacture the picture of an elephant in their mind. And so uh, it's a very powerful method of teaching, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. In fact, in Hebrew, the word ria means seeing, the word raya means proof, and it fits very well into, into English where we say seeing is believing. Mm-hmm. The problem with that, though, is that seeing tends to be somewhat superficial. We only see the exterior. We see things on the surface. And then we have to take that image and we have to look with our mind's eye 
beneath the surface to see what the deeper meaning and the deeper relevance is. Yeah, we do. We do. Let's get into some specifics, what we can learn from this, you know, and I like how you've updated the language in your book. <laughs> That's about time <laughs> that someone do that. What can we learn specifically about success, about uh, business, about investing? Well, let's take a couple of examples. Solomon writes, fortunate is the man who listens to me now. He's speaking at this point, he's speaking in the voice of wisdom. Fortunate is the man who listens to me, who listens to wisdom, attentively waiting at my doors day by day, keeping watch by the doorposts of my entryways. And this proverb is telling us that we always need to be attuned and on the lookout for new opportunities to learn and grow. Life is a series of going through doorways. And the danger we face is that we tend to want to rest on our laurels. We, we like the comfort of past accomplishments and past successes. And so the psalm is warning us that every time we go through one door, what we have to do is look for the next door. Never be satisfied with what we accomplished yesterday because we have new challenges today. And, and whether it's in business or any other aspect of, in life, we always, have to, we always have to have our antennas up trying to get those signals. What's the next thing? What's the next lesson? How can I improve on what I did yesterday? Is it part of human nature to be discontent, and is that a good thing? Oh, it's absolutely a good thing. The Solomon also says, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he'll rise again. And, and we only fall when we're testing ourselves. We only fall when we're, when we're pushing ourselves past our comfort zone. Uh, and that's how we learn the most. We learn a lot more from failure than we do from success. I always tell my students that if you want to be a Marine, you have to run an obstacle course. And uh, wouldn't it be easier if they just removed all the obstacles and you could run the course much faster? But hmm. that's ridiculous, obviously. The whole right. point is to learn how to overcome obstacles. So we are supposed to be dissatisfied. Uh, we're supposed to always be looking uh, a little bit beyond where we are to the next horizon, the next goal, the next challenge. That's what makes life exciting and fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. It sure does. Does Proverbs tell us, uh, does it make judgments for us as to what's more important, uh, you know, work, family, money, fulfillment, those types of issues? It does in the sense that it tells us that if we're satisfied, goes back to really to your last point, if we're, if we're satisfied with comfort, if we're satisfied with superficial goals, then we are bound to be unhappy in our lives. When we say what's a more important work or family, we really have to ask ourselves what do we want to get out of work and what do we need to put into family? And there are basically two reasons why people work. They work to support themselves and support their families and they work to have some sense that they're contributing to the world around them. Now sometimes a person's situation may be such that uh, he has to do work he doesn't like or he doesn't find fulfilling because he needs to, to support himself, to support his wife, support his children. That's a reality that, that we may have to deal with at times. And then the satisfaction that we get in life is primarily from our family. If we're fortunate enough to do work that we find valuable, that we feel is making the world a better place, is contributing to a better society, then the work becomes intrinsically satisfying to us and, and the, the income that we get from it is sort of a perk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. You have some comments on uh, New York City uh, Mayor Bloomberg, well, former New York City Mayor Bloomberg. What do you say about that, about uh, congestion pricing? Uh, that was really a fascinating uh, turn of events. 
his plan was to ease Manhattan traffic with what was called congestion pricing, which meant a, a tax on all traffic coming into Manhattan during peak hours. First, the plan met with tremendous support. It had been used successfully in other places in the world, London and Stockholm, I think. But of course, not surprisingly, people balked at the idea that they were going to have to pay extra and there are all sorts of unintended consequences that we're worried about. Uh, and so the, the proposal died. But almost immediately, this was back in 2008, almost immediately after the plan failed, gas prices spiked to about $4 a gallon. And lo and behold, what happened? Traffic through Manhattan dropped by 5%, which was the target goal of the initial plan. When, when people had their pocketbooks hit, they found other ways of getting to work. And this really, I think, fits in beautifully with one of Solomon's Proverbs. He says, let your eyes look directly forward and your eyelids will straighten your path. Our eyes, of course, we use to see. We always need a sense of direction. We need to know where we're heading. Eyelids are used to keep things out. And so he says, let your eyelids straighten your path, meaning filter out those distractions that are likely to cause you problems that are going to be create difficulties for you. Uh, we have to figure out how to avoid the obstacles that are going to prove to be uh, impediments to us. We have to figure out how to navigate around them. And the idea with this congestion pricing uh, and the lesson that it can teach us is that we need to always have a sense of what is our ultimate goal. Right? If you think of the car as an allegory for personal autonomy, we want to be in control. We want to be in charge. We want to be masters of our own fate. But what's the cost? There may be a greater expense. There may be a loss of efficiency. We're cutting ourselves off from other people. We're micromanaging. There's no opportunity for teamwork. You know, there's so many lessons. When we try to do it all ourselves, then we end up being much less successful than if we sacrifice a little bit of personal autonomy and we learn to work together with others in pursuit of our common goals. You're probably familiar with Lyft and Uber and their surge pricing policy. Does that have something to say about the market? It sort of seems a little odd that you commented on that or <laughs> really had an opinion on it, but it's really the sort of referring more to the car being the means to the end. Can you elaborate on that a little more? Well, yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles. And so did I. <laughs> so we have that in common. <laughs> we, we escaped, huh? Lots of traffic, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Angelinos are married to their cars. There was never an efficient public transportation system there. Yeah. And the city was so spread out that if you didn't have a car, you were absolutely lost. It's terrible. You know, cities like Chicago and New York are designed for people to be able to get around without their own cars. And, and that sense that I have to do it on my own. Again, I'm really talking about the car as an allegory here. The way Solomon speaks in, in Proverbs and allegories. If I enclose myself in my own little space, if I don't see how I can work together with others, we're all control freaks on some level, right? We want to be in charge of our own destiny. But so much can be accomplished. I mean, the whole idea of carpooling. We're, we're giving up a little in order to save ourselves money uh, in order to cut down on traffic. It's the same thing with any kind of cooperative effort. If every person sees how he can contribute to the whole instead of trying to do everything himself, then he ends up becoming part of something that's greater than himself 
and achieving a level of success he could never achieve on his own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, you know, it's political season again. You have some thoughts about Hillary Clinton. Well, I think a lot of people have thoughts. About yes, I, I would agree. <laughs> uh, one <laughs> I way do or too. the other. Yeah. This, I think, has become uh, highlighted recently with uh, this business about Ben Carson and, and the narrative about his um, West Point opportunity. But what I find uh, really compelling about Hillary Clinton as a candidate is, you know, it was, it was quite a few years ago that the New York Times columnist William Sapphire referred to her as a uh, as a congenital liar. You know, whether you agree with her politically or not, and I don't think that's a discussion we need to have here, but she seems to have a, a profound disregard for the truth. Yep. And, and that's something that I think needs to bother us on many levels. I, I mean, uh, it is amazing to me the history of scandals surrounding Hillary Clinton. I, I, I can't believe we even sort of take some of these people seriously. It's just, uh, doesn't that mean anything <laughs> to the population? I, maybe not, I guess. I think that's really the, the point here. It's not just what she that she lies, because so many of our politicians do, but it's, it's the thing she lies about, you know, being named for Sir Edmund Hillary when she was actually born before he conquered Everest, business with a sniper fire in Bosnia, when it's something that's so easily verified. And more of the point you just made is, what does it say about us if she believes that she can make these kinds of claims uh, and disregard the truth with impunity, that the public won't care. What does it say about us as a society that we've lost our respect for the truth and, and that that isn't one of the values that we need to see in our politicians? Uh, a little bit before our time, but when Grover Cleveland ran for president, New York newspaper ran an article endorsing him and said he sh we should vote for him for four reasons. One, he's an honest man. Two, he's an honest man. Three, he's an honest man. And four, he's an honest man. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if we get back to something like that? Yeah, right, right. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's something else. Are there any questions I haven't asked you? Anything you just want to say, especially about business, about investing, about success? You know, of course, we, we have so many lessons from the Bible. You know, the story of the five talents. There's just so many things. There's so much wisdom there. You know, human beings are designed with two eyes, if you will. We have an eye on the present and we have an eye on the future. We, we see short-term goals and we see long-term goals. And we really need both. In other words, I have to eat lunch, I have to eat dinner, uh, I have to get enough sleep, I have to get some exercise, I, I have to know where, I, where I'm going to work tomorrow. But it's not enough to simply be focused on, on what's immediately in front of me. I need to be focused on the long-term long as well. It's one of the things I talk about in my book uh, that I find fascinating. There was a, a study done in 2009. They blindfolded people and they asked them to walk a straight line. In 100% of the cases, people could not walk in straight lines. They always ended up going in circles, sometimes to the left, sometimes to the right, sometimes big circles, sometimes left circles. And they tried it in other ways. They had people swimming. They put people in cars, which is kind of scary, and had them blindfolded in big parking lots they always ended up going in circles. And, and it's a fascinating observation on human nature that we naturally don't hold course. We always seem to circle back to our starting point. And, and they came to the, the fairly obvious conclusion that uh, the only way to stay on course is if you can fix a promontory in the distance. 
and stay focused on that, that's really the only way we're going to tow a straight line. And so whether it's in business, in investment, uh, in careers, or again, in, in our personal lives, we have to have this sense of where do we want to end up? Uh, we have to know what are the things that are really going to make us satisfied and happy. And ultimately, that comes to a sense that we're contributing positively to the world that we live in. We have a sense of purpose. We're building families. We're contributing to society. We're making a difference in the world in a positive way. And how we plan to do that, what are the ways we can do that? When we look ahead, we look into the future and project, then that will keep us on the straight and narrow in the near term. And that's what's going to give us that sense of happiness that we're, we're, so, uh, we're so desperate to find in our lives. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very good thoughts. Give out your website if you would. And uh, of course, I'm sure the book is available on Amazon and all the usual places. Amazon's the best place to get it, uh, Proverbial Beauty. And my website is my name, Yonason Goldson, Y-O-N-A-S-O-N-G-O-L-D-S-O-N.com. Fantastic. Yonason, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure, Jason. Thanks very much. This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company, all rights reserved. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please visit www.hartmanmedia.com or email media at hartmanmedia.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own, and the host is acting on behalf of Platinum Properties Investor Network, Inc., exclusively.